BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. My name is Craig Ferguson. The name of this podcast is Joy. I talk to interesting people about what brings them happiness. Meet Rita Wilson. She's a producer, she's an actress, and she's a hell of a laugh. I was just thinking on the way here today, I thought, because the traffic was bad, I know you know the traffic yes. was bad, and I was, a, I was a little grumpy, and I thought, I'm a bit grumpy today, I'm a little, I'm a man called Craig today. <laughs> That was such a great film. So, which one? The Man Called Otto. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was a man called Craig. At the end. Thank I was like, you. I was very cranky. It, yeah. Where I did get you it. find that? Fortunately, it came in a DVD packet through the Academy. Oh, when was you're it, doing, it was another movie then. It was, I saw the Swedish film oh, first. Oh, I thought you got then, the script or something. No, uh, we developed the script, uh, but you. I found it through the, the Swedish movie, and then I realized there was a book to it. So immediately tried to get the rights to yeah. the book, which we were able to do, and then got a great team together. I, l- I love that movie. <laughs> really good. I love you directed what it that says. movie. You directed the movie, right? No, produced it. Produced it, okay. Yes. Which, as everybody knows, if you're really in show business, you know you really did the job. You know what? I can be uh, unequivocally honest about that and say yes, true. Because <laughs> <It is. laughs> the only one time I directed a movie and I didn't produce it, I've only done like three or something, but I directed a movie and I was like, this is, I'm, everybody's telling me stuff and they're getting in my way. And then yeah. I realized the people that were getting in my way were the producers and I'm much happier <laughs> being the producer than being the director. It's too yes. hard. Yes, it's true. So let, let me ask you, because there okay. was a, a thing I wanted to ask you about, which is you're the only person I know. Now, I'll, I'll preface this by saying I have become fascinated recently with pre-Roman church Christianity. Oh, just fascinated by it. I'm I, I so reading everything I can about it. I'm, I've become totally obsessed with it, as is my one. And you're the only person I know who I think is in the Greek Orthodox Church, right? I am. Which is the split. Now, you tell me. You tell me. What's the difference between, if you can, and okay. I'm, I don't want to force oh you into a gosh. theological. Yeah. But I, I know that the split happened round about 
then, I, right? You, you can't. I, I'm so bad at history. Okay. I really am. But I will tell you what I believe is what I understand to be some of the differences. Right. And in Greek Orthodoxy, which was the older religion. Right, the Byzantine stuff. Exactly. Right. was before Catholicism, before the schism. Um, what what happened in the schism, uh, I think, is that the Catholics wanted to form a different form of Christianity. And what Greek Orthodox don't have is a pope. So we don't have a person that we say, this. You're the top guy. You're the top guy, and everybody, uh, you know, you talk directly to God. And, Which the Christians didn't have either. At and, the beginning. Right. And so I think that's one of the dif- differences. Secondly, I, this is my own observation. Right. Having a lot of Catholic friends and going to a lot of Catholic churches in my youth is in the Greek Orthodox Church, we don't really focus so much on the crucifixion as we do the resurrection. Right. And I think that's interesting because if you walk into a Greek Orthodox cathedral or church, you often will see pictures of Christ carrying the cross on his back. Or you will see pictures of him with the disciples or the apostles. There is always a story told of the life of Jesus in the church, and there you will find one picture of him on the cross uh, being crucified. So it's part of the story. It's, it's not like that. Yeah, which I, I think is just, I don't know if that's my own observation or if that there's intention to that. You know what I noticed when I was in Italy I don't know, a couple of years ago? I, I go there a lot because I love it. Yeah, And I noticed that the beautiful artwork you know, in the Vatican or in the bigger Catholic churches in Italy, the very impressive artwork, is not mirrored in the rural uh, churches. And you see some really crap pictures. <laughs> it's really fantastic. Like, I was like in a church and I was like, what's that? And they said, "That's this is the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus. And I'm like, that to me looks like a bear climbing a fence. It's not, it doesn't look anything like it. And I, I love the idea that there's, you know, valiant efforts by people who are not as talented to make, because of course, not everybody's Absolutely. a great artist just because they're, you know, depicting no. the, the, the crucifixion or the resurrection. But here's the thing. Here's the, well, there's be, also one other thing. What? In the church, in our church, Greek Orthodoxy, priests can marry a priest and uh, they can have children. Uh, and I think this is important, especially if you're going to talk to someone about your marriage. How does someone know what you know a marriage is like if they've never experienced having a relationship with someone? And I believe that if you are a priest, if you are married and then become a priest, it's fine that you're married. Right. But if you become a priest, you then cannot get married after the fact. Is that in the Catholic Church? In the Catholic Church, priests can't marry at all. You can't marry at all. Exactly. But that was only, for that was from the Second Vatican Council or something in 700. That was because of priests were leaving their, uh, you know, their inheritance 
to their children. That's right. And the church wanted it. That's right. So yes. it was it was not really uh, I no one celibacy I, I mean as a as a spiritual aesthetic I go, goes back to Buddhist aesthetics mm-hmm. and and pre-Roman Christianity because I've become fascinated about it because I think someone I think there's someone at the door with coffee actually. Hold on. <laughs> it's the priests it's, they're coming to get it, us. It's the Catholic church. <laughs> Hey, wait a minute. You sing about <laughs> thing about some of the art in oh, Italy. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Thomas. That's so great. So there's this guy I've become fascinated by. His name yeah, is And I want to know why you became fascinated with the Greek Orthodox Church. Well, it's not so much the Greek Orthodox. I, I don't know enough about the Greek. I, I've right. been surrounded by Catholicism my whole life. I'm not a Catholic, but mm-hmm. I grew up in Scotland. There's a lot of Catholics around, and mm-hmm. I have friends who are Catholics. And, and so it wasn't mysterious to me. But I didn't really have much contact with anyone who was in Greek Orthodoxy. And as I was reading about the... It, it really, I became fascinated by it because of being sober. Oh yeah, and and sobriety was something that they were interested in. It's not part mm-hmm. of anything that I do, but I was, you know, being sober in terms of a sober mind and a sober soul, right? And, a, a, and sobriety, not just the absence of of whatever ails you, right? But but actual sober thought is something that they talk about the early, and I became fascinated by the. Desert Fathers, mm. and in particular, someone who was, I believe, connected to the Greek Orthodox or is celebrated in the Greek Orthodox Church, is Evagrius of Pontus. Have you heard of him? No. He's a fascinating figure. He he was a theologian. He was a desert father. So it was it's pre-Roman Christianity. And these aesthetics, they go out and they kind of, it's like, it really it's a mirror of uh, Christ's 40 days in the wilderness right. and they lived that but they lived there all the time St. Anthony lived there mm-hmm. you know and, and all that and what it became Evagrius was a theologian Pontus I think was like northern Turkey or something I mean okay. everything was all different then, isn't it? right and he came up with the eight thoughts eight demons that will separate you from the divine oh I love this it's fascinating and the eight thoughts are and you'll recognize them when I start saying them they are sloth avarice, mm. lust, mm-hmm. you know, and suddenly it's right. the seven deadly sins. Right. Where, and the seven deadly sins come from... But he's from, got eight, so what was the Well, eight? he had eight. Well, he, he put, and this <laughs> is what I love. What got edited out? <laughs> Sadness and sloth were put in together. Oh. And I thought, though, that kind of makes sense too. Wow. But they thought about demons in the way that we talk about kind of psychosis or 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 stuff or addictions or stuff and I just became mm-hmm. fascinated by that and I started wandering into it and I knew when you were coming in today I thought oh no you are I don't know how connected you are to your church though are you very very connected oh you are oh yeah oh good so yeah. I can ask you lots about it you can ask ask me lots about it but I don't know how informed I'll be about it alright so <laughs> to be fair you're not speaking in an official capacity for Correct. the Greek or right okay Correct. No, that's fine yes did you get married in the Greek church? I in the did. Greek faith? In the church that I got married, it's here in Hollywood, right? St. Sophia Cathedral. It's the church I was baptized in, that my sister got married in, that I baptized my nieces in, that I got married in, baptized my granddaughters in, and then also 
did the rituals for my mom and my dad there. That's, so it's kind of like it's, it's kind been of there all my life. They must get so much money out of you. <laughs> 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 but but we'll, we won't stay. That's a church, isn't it? Do, do, yeah. the, does Greek Orthodox, does it have the, the Eucharist? Does it have... Everything. All right? It has yeah, all of that? We have all the sacraments. Right. We have all of the... Uh, we don't have a wafer, but we actually do bread and wine. All right. And, and do you believe in transubstantiation? Does okay, it... now now this is where I'm probably going to get beat up by, you know, I don't know, critics, but oh god, you know, you like know we I, still I, I, do the sipping of the wine right. in the communal cup. And during COVID, I just stopped taking communion because I was like, I think, I, I think that's okay. I, think, I can't do this. I just well, you go. I you can't. famously were an early adopter of COVID. Yes, you and exactly, Tom both got it exactly. right. Like early, you guys were like, but I was like, that is fast. You guys are very good. <laughs> we were the first council of COVID. Is what that? Yeah, that was right. that was. I mean, you got it in Australia, right? Yes, we I remember did. reading about it because I was like. Oh my God! That, that, yeah. First of all, I didn't even know that it was in Australia, and, and we nobody didn't know. knew if, if you were going to die from it. At that no, point. nobody. I mean, knew of course, anything. a lot of people was, did. But. Yes, but nobody knew. It was all terrifying and strange. But I have enormous faith in my church. Yeah, and at the same time. There is science that says, yeah, <laughs> maybe you don't want to be sipping off of a spoon. I During think, COVID. I think that's okay. You know, I, and also, I that just... to me, I don't know what the ritual is in Greek Orthodoxy, and I'm not entirely sure, but I don't think it has to be communal. Or maybe it does because it has to mimic I the Last know. Supper. I, I, I was going to be like, well, it's just been the way it's always been. Right. Well, you things know, change. As a kid, it was like that. Yeah. You know, I literally have gone to church early for communion on the most obscure, like if it's during Holy Week, the most obscure morning service that I can take communion and I will get there and I will sit in the front row and I will be the first person up for communion. <laughs> Very I'm going to get to that before anybody right, else. Right, first up, and you know, first that, up. <laughs> I think that's very wise, but it does kind of. Can I ask you something? Yeah. Question. Mm -hmm. How long have you been sober? 31 years. And I'm happy to, to say that. Oh my God. Yeah. I got sober when I was 29. That's incredible yeah it, it is it's a it's actually it's one of the reasons why i become fascinated with religion because the longer i'm sober the more i think that's kind of a miracle and it, I, it I, is a miracle yeah kind I, of I, I, I don't really know i mean it is kind of a miracle i don't know how how it really happened it and and i find myself you know interested in in these things completely curious i i do think it is one of the things that I can only think of the word miracle when it comes to that, because it's like, I have seen people transform their lives. Sure. And it's because of that, you know, it's like one day you're this and the next day you're somebody completely different. Well, it's And the day after and the, the day after. The reason why I became fascinated by it is because in being sober or, or and trying to remain sober and trying to improve your sobriety, I guess, is that... I became interested in what happened before, you know, in my case, there was an organization which I won't mention for the reason of the traditions, but it, it came into being in the mid-1930s. And, right. and I thought, well, wow, before that, of course, there were temperance movements and all that kind mm -hmm. of thing before that. But there's a, there was an amazing story about, do you know the story about Roland Hazard? No. Roland Hazard was a, was a drunk from a rich family. 
in the northeast of America in the 19, I think it was the 1930s, I guess mm-hmm. early 30s. And he was a hopeless case. And eventually the Hazard family, because they had a lot of money, sent him to be treated by Carl Jung. Um, wow, that's a different kind of rehab. That, it's crazy, right? <laughs> so they sent him to Roland Taz to be treated by Carl Jung. But before that, they had asked Freud and Adler if they would take him. And they were like, nah, he's drunks. We, there's nothing we can do. I mean, they're hopeless. Wow. So they sent Roland to Carl Jung. Roland Hazard works for a year with Carl Jung. And Carl Jung says, I think, I think you're good to go. I, I don't know enough about it. Good luck. So Roland makes it as far, he was in Switzerland, he gets as far as Paris, he gets drunk. And he goes back again, he says to Carl Jung, I don't know what to do, am I going to, and Carl Jung says, I think you're going to die, I don't think there's anything I can do. And he said, there's nothing. And Carl Jung said, well look, once in a while, like St. Paul on the road to Damascus, a person has a religious experience, Ignatius of Loyola, or you know, something like that, and they, a profound spiritual change that so affects their psyche that they can stay sober. But unless you get that, I don't know how it's going to happen. And so what Roland Hazard, he comes back to America, he joins the Oxford group, the Oxford group morph into the organization that I'm you know, talking about. And they start to try and recreate, Bill Wilson, who founded Alcoholics Anonymous, starts to try and recreate through a series of steps a profound psychic change that mimics what was a religious experience before that in order to alter the psyche of the alcoholic so much that they can stay sober. Wow. Isn't that fascinating? And he did that. Well, I I think in my case, yes. The psychic change that occurs. Now, because this is not really about me, but but I'm interested because you're a religious person and you've always been a religious person. Has there ever been a point where you thought, I, I don't believe it? I don't believe it. it. It's no. So you haven't had to make that that turn. No, I. My mom was really the person who was the bringer of the faith. Right. My dad, he must have chrismated or converted before he married my mom. Converted, because chrismation is if you are already baptized in uh, a religion, but you're going to get married in the Greek Orthodox Church. Right. Uh, or not married, because you can you can get married if you're Christian. You don't have to be Greek Orthodox to get married in the church. Chrismation is if you want to convert from, let's say, Catholicism to Greek Orthodoxy. Right. So that's kind of slightly different than a full. But you're, was your dad was your dad a Christian? So my dad must have converted in order to get married in the church, right? But after he died, I did a TV show called "Who Do You Think You Are?" You oh, know the genealogy yeah. show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we went back to his village, and everyone, everyone was Muslim. Oh, okay. Everyone, right? And my dad always explained it this way. He said that where he was from, he was born in Greece, and where he was from, the area, was always being occupied by some people coming and going. Coming and going. And for many, many years, obviously it was the Ottoman Empire. Right. And during that time, my dad said that many years back they were Christians. 
And during the Ottoman Empire, they were sort of told that they had to change their religion, convert to Islam, and also to change their names to sound uh, more Islamic. Wow. So I think... So how'd you end up with Wilson, then? Because <laughs> that, that was the street we lived on. When my dad became a citizen of the United States, he I was just, like... I just had a thought. <laughs> is that why you... No, that's not the reason why the the ball is Wilson in... I think that it is. It? Yes, I mean... Oh, my God, I didn't even thought of that. I feel like I just learned it. something really <laughs> profound. <laughs> like in Castle... No, because there is the name of the volleyball is... Oh, uh, well, there's it, there's a Wilson brand, there's a Spalding, and there's a Sp- Voight. Spalding. Everybody would have thought Spalding Wilson Greg. Has they a ring to it. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> I think that's lovely. Yeah. What a, it's like, oh, I feel like, oh, I feel, I, I'm weirdly excited by that. There's something very human about it, and I think that's great. No, um, it's great. It's great. It is great. So that was it. And then, you know, I met so many of my relatives who are um, Muslim. And it was just so interesting to me because my dad never really talked about it. He He didn't, you know, there was a lot of things I found out about my dad than you know, after he passed away. Was your, well, your dad was an immigrant and was your mom an immigrant too? My mom was actually born in New York right? and then raised in a little tiny village. She's Greek on the border of Albania and Greece. Uh, and when the war broke out, yeah, well, the, first you, they went there when, when she was four years old and her father died. Uh, and so her mom, my Yaya grandmother, was left with four kids. And the relatives in New York said, what are you going to do, a widow with four children in New York? Stay in the village and we'll send money back to you. Because my grandfather had a business in New York. And so they stayed. And over the years, I think money stopped being sent. And then around the time of the end of the war and also the beginning of the civil unrest in Greece, Yeah. They knew it was time to get out, and so they couldn't just walk the border, even though my mom was an American citizen. Right. So they had to escape and climb over these mountains and make their way onto the Greece side of uh, the border, and then eventually made their way to Athens, renewed their passports, and then took a ship over to— That's a real— And my dad has an amazing story, too. My dad's story is that he, I didn't know any of this until I did that show. So you as a kid, you don't know this about your mother and father. I knew this about my mother. Right. I did not know. I knew that my father was in a labor camp, but I did not know there was an earlier part of the story, which was he was in the army, the Bulgarian army, and while he was at the Bulgarian army, army, he saw seltzer bottles, right? Right. From somewhere. Okay. And he took the 12, there were 12 seltzer bottles. Right. And he took them. And knowing what I know about my dad, he only did things for other people. So I thought he must have had a reason for doing this. And my grandfather had a, he was a hunter and he had a hunting lodge, let's call it, small Mm. lodge in the mountains, in the Rodopi Mountains of Bulgaria. And I think he must have thought, oh, my dad could use these bottles for when he's out on a hunting trip. Right. Anyways, he was arrested, he was court-martialed, and he was sentenced to a prison. 
For, what, the, for taking empty for bottles? For three years, yes. Three years in prison yes. for taking empty bottles? Yes, exactly. They See were that. trying to make an example of him. <laughs> what, 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 could the great bottle thieving epidemic? Yes, exactly. It was all about now, bottle thieving. So who's in charge? No, it's true. I mean, they had all the documents there. So That's it wasn't crazy. like it, there, was, there wasn't anything being hidden. It was just literally. And this prison was very, very dangerous and treacherous. Anyways, he gets out. And he meets a girl, and they get married. Right. And she gets pregnant. And I knew none of this. Right. And this she, is not your mom that we're talking no, about. Then. Oh my no. god! No. And she delivers a baby on December twenty sixth. I want you to remember that. Okay. And so, on December twenty ninth, she dies from complications of childbirth. Things that nowadays modern medicine would be able to take care of. Of course. So, my dad is now the father of an infant. He's living with his in-laws. The tragedy of this beautiful young woman dying. Right. And this little baby. So, this was after the war. I don't know what how they kept that baby alive because... What do you do? There's no milk. There's no formula. Right. They could barely have enough bread to eat. And four months later, the baby died. It's, and his name was Emil. Uh, it's so, like, it's, uh, so, so Terribly crazy. sad story. Very sad. And I think this is one of the reasons why my dad was like, I'm out of here. I'm getting out of Bulgaria. And he tried. You never knew any of this? Never knew anything. But what's ironic is. My sister's first child was born on December 26th, and my second son was born on December 26th. And I always thought on Christmas and that next day, which was always a big celebration in our family, sure. that my dad was must have been thinking about his firstborn son, Emil, and knowing that like yeah what what is this about i have baby everybody in my family is having babies on december 26th it's funny my my wife has a grandfather who has it's not the same story in it but he was from a country that no longer exists in the in that area the republic of something yeah. or something yes. and he came over and they could never find out what he did but he would always carry cash in the he had a farm in Massachusetts and he would always carry cash in the bib of his overalls just in case just in case because nothing you never know when you have to fear. cut and run nothing takes away that fear I think it's no I think it's true it, it is strange because you don't get free of it I was talking to uh, I was talking to you know Dax Shepard yeah Dax love Dax yeah he's great he's and great Dax, I was talking to him the other day and he grew up in kind of difficult circumstances in, in yes. Detroit. And yes. and I grew up not rich either. And I don't think that feeling ever leaves you. It doesn't matter no. how much money you make. No. It's like, you're like, oh, no, we've got to yeah, keep well, some aside. <laughs> my dad was a bartender. And so he would work and, bring, and, you know, he'd get tips. Right. And so he would bring the tips home in a Crown Royal felt bag, you know. <laughs> I do and, know that bag, Yes, actually. okay. Yeah. And on Saturday mornings, we would spread out all the coins on the kitchen table, and we would take the quarters and put them in the little bank rolls of coins. I you know, love this. Write the account. I would still do this. Oh, I totally. I, it was I would, like this meditative. Is great. Yeah. He would do that, 
And that's why I always think like, wow, you know, you've got to take care of the people who are in those positions that, you know, they're going home with those tips and taking those tips to their families yeah. and, and putting them in roles and making a living out of it. But I my, think, my mom yeah. used to keep a secret money in her wallet, I like $20. And I'm like, but it's not secret because you put it there. <laughs> I know, I know. But it wasn't in the part where she would actually access it, right? Right. It's in the and, other bit behind your driver's yeah, license. Yeah, I my, feel that too. My dad would take money and he would put it in a lead pipe. Okay. So he would just like whatever bills he would like. It was like his bank account. He would put it in a lead pipe that had screws, uh, lids on each end in case there was a fire. <laughs> 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 now, you know? This is in Los Angeles, though. You're growing in up here. The Hollywood Hills. Yes. That's crazy. <laughs> now, if you gr you grow up the child of immigrants with a, a shocking story, but in Hollywood. So I feel like I always believed in the, not believed in the myth. That sounds wrong. But I, I was always much more impressed by Hollywood and Hollywoodness until I started doing the late night show and then you right. just meet everybody and yes. then you just realize it's like, right. you know, the douche to mensch ratio is just the same as it is <laughs> everywhere else in the world. Some people are great, some people are assholes and, it, and it's fine. Right. But until that point, I had, there was a mystique about Hollywood that I really believed in. Yeah. Did you not and never have that because you grew up here or did it crumble over time like it did for me? No, it was just my hometown. Right. And I knew that people came here from all over the world to pursue their dreams, but this was my hometown. I went to Hollywood High School, LeConte Junior High, which is right down the street. Right. It Hollywood Boulevard was where we would go and get back to school clothes, your bike. Yeah, you can't you do know, that in Hollywood Boulevard. No, no that, you can't do that. If you're, you're buying school clothes in Hollywood Boulevard, it's, it's a completely it's, different look. It's you're going a whole for, different kind of school. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> that would be bad. <laughs> And we would go to movies at the Chinese Theater and go to Musso and Frank's on a special occasion. And it was just home. But I started modeling first at 14 years old, right here at Hollywood High School. I was discovered. Well, this, uh, and I this put sounds that a little, in quotation yeah, marks. Talk me through the discovery bit a little bit. It, it, it was first day of school. Yeah. I hey, was, you want to be a model? Uh, yeah, was exactly. that it? Was that really no, it? No, no, it was kind of like that, yeah. except they were legit. They were from Harper's Bazaar magazine. Okay. But I didn't know that at the time. And the photographer yeah. was a very famous photographer. Nowadays, he's still alive. His name's Albert Watson. He's incredible. Right. Scottish, I believe. Is he really? Yes. And so was his wife, I think. So he saw me walking and asked, they had permission from the school to be there, if he could take some pictures. I was Ooh, can sure. I take a picture of that? Will yeah, you get all over there? <laughs> <laughs> She's very beautiful. <laughs> and uh, so they took some pictures and he asked the next day if we could arrange another time to meet. And so we did and took more pictures. And that ended up being uh, the first modeling job I ever had, which was for Harper's Bazaar magazine. Which is very swanky. Very swanky. Very, very swanky. It was the year 18-year-olds got the vote. Okay. So it was their 1972, January 1972 issue, now, I believe. Is that when 18-year-olds got the vote here? Yeah. Yeah. Seems. So, <laughs> but after that, I just started working and the first job I got to get my Screen Actors Guild card was The Brady Bunch. And that was at Paramount Studios. Now, still to this day, if I walk into a, a drive into a studio, walk into a soundstage, I have that 
feeling of its magic. It's a very specific smell. I know exactly it's a what climate. You mean. Yep. It's a volume of height. It's the color of the walls. It's the energy now. Like certain studios are putting plaques on the outsides of yeah. their sound stages. Like this is what was filmed here. And it's fantastic. And all good things have always happened to me at Paramount Studios. So I love Paramount Studios. So it was a trippy thing because I don't know why this, I was lucky, but with all of that that I was exposed to and all the different kinds of people that I was exposed to, I never had anything terrible happen to me in LA. I mean, it was just like, I wonder if that's because you you knew the neighborhood. I mean, like not just knew the neighborhood, like what the streets, but you kind of like if if you grow up amongst it, if you're kind of you speak the language almost. Well, I, I think if people come here, particularly young women, if young women come here and they're wide eyed and they're you know, it maybe maybe attracts. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, because I had a lot of friends that bad things happened to. Yeah, yeah. So, and yes, they did come from other places. But um, look, it... <laughs> Has, it changed? Mean, Has the time changed, do you think? Has it changed from mean, that? I think it's much scarier now. It's much scarier now. There's just... There's more, like, it feels like it's everywhere now. Like the world is Hollywood yeah. now. You know, it, it's... Like there you, was still a some kind of accountability. This the town was not as big as it is now, for one right. thing. Now I think LA is like twenty million, just LA. That's a lot of people. That's like bigger than some countries. So mm. it's four uh, times the size of yes, Scotland. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So um but I feel like, you know, there were things like the Christmas parade on Hollywood Boulevard, where yeah. my dad, we would come down and, you know, he'd pack up in the car, we'd park blocks away, and then, you know, he'd carry me on his shoulders and we would wait for Nudie to come down in his Cadillac. Nudie? Nudie. Wait, Nudie wait, was but, a big Western guy. Did yeah, you ever like, know that guy? Nudie on Hollywood Boulevard oh, is a different Nudie now. Nudie on <laughs> Hollywood Boulevard. That goes back to that <laughs> other kind of school. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that, there was a... I moved here in 1995 to Los Angeles. Yeah. And even then, there was a kind of sleepiness yes. to the town. There was it a, changed. It really did. Yes. And I can't, I can't quite tell when i think it's something to do with uber or smartphones or gps or something 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 happened and it yeah. got really really different or maybe i just got older or maybe no I, no something did change it would it would be so fascinating if somebody could analyze that and say what was the difference like what was that shift that happened and why i don't know I really don't know. Maybe maybe phones or computers. Computers were out in what, 96, 90? Yeah. Seven? I, th I, think I don't the, know. I think when people started, you know, there used to be the sign where you couldn't, there was a sign that said, no walking to the Hollywood sign. And I lived up in the hills. Yes, and, yes, and you yes. could walk to the Hollywood sign. I mean, yeah. you actually could walk to the Hollywood yeah. sign, but they would put signs up saying that you couldn't. And you right. could wander up there. And that was always the walk that I did. I'd walk up Mount Hollywood and down by the observatory. And it was yeah, amazing. So great. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I did it recently when I was here. And it's packed. Everybody knows where to go. Oh, you're kidding. It's packed. There's oh, like uh, people above the sign. They're all tourists up there. They all walk up there. And 
I mean, I, I get they have every right to go. It's just I've so many. I've never walked up to the Hollywood sign. What? Born and raised, don't even know how to get there. No. I don't even know how. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't want to bother the neighbors up there. You there's know, nobody like, up there but coyotes and snakes. Really? Uh, okay, yeah, good. it's it, well, but I know, now but, tourists. Now tourists. You but, missed your shot. Yeah, but I mean, there were, I mean, nowadays, if you go up there, I think it's very, like, it's rude, right? You don't want to disturb the residents and things like that. They yeah, make it... you can. There's paths up to it. You can okay. walk up to it from other. It's all right, and it might oh, be that's rude. So I don't know. funny. I don't know. No, you can get up through Canyon, and it's, really? I'll tell you about okay, it later. Okay, yeah, you can walk up through later. Canyon. Secret, it's fine. Uh, it's a secret way up because the Batman caves are over there. I know the Batman well. caves. Well, you just oh, go yeah. up the, you go up past the Batman caves, and then you can walk right. It's really steep walk up the hill. And then you walk over to the left and you're above the Hollywood Did you side. ever go horseback riding at Sunset Stables? I did! And go over into Burbank for yes, the night and then yes. come back? Have you done that? Yes! Oh, I love that. It was so much fun. They still do it, apparently. Yeah. I, on I, a full I, moon or something. I fell off a horse recently. Do you ride horses a lot? I do. I love horses. I like horses, too. And I, I, but I, I'm not Do you very, ride English? No, I have a Western saddle. In Scotland? In Scotland, yeah. <laughs> but I... My horse, we put the Western saddle on him. Yeah, My wife's right. very, very, very horsey. Like right. very not in, in appearance, although <laughs> no, she's not horsey in appearance. But she's she's gorgeous. Yeah, she's gorgeous. But she's she has a she's a beautiful pony. But Aww. the uh we put this I think the, the they call it the girth on the English saddle. Yes. What do they call it? They call it the yeah, girth. Yeah, like area? the bridle. Uh, not the bridle, the, the girth. Yeah, the girth. Yeah. So I think it was pinching his Little oh. uh, leggy bit. Oh no! Um, and he uh, he bucked. He's only ever bucked twice. Once I saw it when he was lunging. Uh, I was lunging him, and then the other time I was on him, and I came off. He's a big horse too. Wow! And it was very ouch. And I'm 61 years old. I've fallen off many horses, and I've noticed over the years that. Uh, it hurts a lot more it, yeah, now it hurts than it a used lot to. Now for sure. Do you ever have an accident on your horse? I've been thrown from a horse, but nothing that resulted in injury. My injuries are from uh, uh, the two times I tried snowboarding because I ski. That hurts so much. Snowboarding, why? You fall on your ass all the time. All the time. And your feet are stuck together on a board. You can't escape. No. It's like I like to sit at the end of a row in a movie theater in case I have to leave. Exactly. And I feel the same about skiing and snowboarding. (laughs) I don't want my feet tied to to the... Exactly. Yes. I got to go. Bye. Yeah, I got to leave. I'm sorry. Something came up. I got to leave. Do you... Let me ask you a question then. Do you ever get a fear of flying? Uh, I used to. I don't anymore. That's interesting. Want to hear why? Yeah. It was very specific. I had two friends. Sorry, one friend. And he was in a plane crash. Oh, good lord. The crash, the plane went off the runway. The plane caught fire. Everybody got out and survived. Okay. So it had a happy ending. That's good, yeah. But I called his wife when it happened, and I said, oh, my God, how is he doing? Oh, my gosh. They're they're British. And I said, well, I said, that's why I don't fly. When, when the kids were little, Tom and I didn't fly on the same plane together. Yeah, We'd take different flights well. and yeah. all that. Yeah. And I said, you know, that's why we don't fly together. And she said, darling, if you don't fly together, then you shouldn't really drive together because the chances of being in a car crash are far greater. And she was right. Mm. The statistics are actually true. Oh, the statistics are right. So that kind of calmed me. I was like, okay. The idea of you, once the doors are closed, 
you hand the power over to someone else. <laughs> and that always, but I actually, I, what I did is oh. I learned to fly. Your own plane. Yeah, I, I, I did and that. And what did that do? Well, you know Kurt Russell? Yes. Right, so Kurt, you know Kurt's like crazy. Yes. You know, right, aviator. So I said to him, he was on the old late night show, and I said, I'm frightened of flying. I know you love flying, and I'm frightened of flying. And he said, you're not frightened of flying. You're just a control freak. <laughs> and I went, that's not true. And I went, it is true. I read your book. And I went, oh, you read my book? <laughs> and then I ended up talking, talking about the book because I was so excited that Kurt read my book. But he didn't forget. And so for my birthday, Megan called up Kurt and said, hey, let's get him some flying lessons because I used to be terrified of flying. And he went, I, great. And he found a flying instructor, a really gnarly old guy over at Van Nuys Airport yes. who took me up. And after about seven hours of flying, instruction for me where I was terrified, right. Kurt said, you come up with me. I was like, oh God. So he has this super powerful plane, right? There's a T, I don't know if he still has it, but he's a, had a TBM 700. It was like a rocket ship. Oh, wow. And, uh, we go up this plane and we fly it just from Santa Monica over to Santa Maria Airport. It's yes. not far, is yes. it? And, and as we're landing, there's a bit of a crosswind and he said, land the plane. I said, I, 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 I'm not ready for that. He went, well, I ain't doing it. And, and so, and it eventually, I, you know, I, I did it and I, I, I got it close and then he took over and he landed the plane. Oh, but terrifying. I was, I was terrified. But I, you can't cry in front of Snake Plissken. You know, there's no, you can't, you know. No. But I went home and something cracked a little bit. I don't know what it was. I, when I went home, I was like, no, it's different. I, I understood the mechanics of it a little better. So now are you less afraid to fly uh, in a commercial flight? Uh, yeah, I, I would say that I am. I because you understand the mechanics? I understand how it works. Yeah. And I understand that, I also understand that the person that is flying the plane is far more qualified than I am to do the job. <laughs> so it, that kind of works. Don't put him on a late night show or a podcast. He can't do it. Who, who, Kurt? The pilot. Oh, the pilot? Some no, can, some can't. can't. Do it. No. They, they're a very specific breed pilots, actually. <laughs> Did you never get into that? Yeah, that's what I suppose Flying? You yeah. It's no. kind of a Hollywood thing. There's yeah. a community of people here that yeah. do it. And I was kind of surprised with the people that I was like, oh my God. And you run at uh, Edward Norton at the airport or, you know, right. Travolta's famously a flyer right. or right. Tom Cruise. or Like there's a whole, I'm like, oh my God, this is like the Oscars. This is exactly, it's crazy. <laughs> everybody's here. The Oscars in, a, in like really fancy suits. So I'm like, oh, everyone's wearing pressure suits. It's cool. But it, it's kind of like, and I thought it'd be like super expensive and it is. But, yes. But, you know. So do you still do it? Do you still take lessons? I have a I have a little little tiny two seater plane that I can only fly at certain times of the year because of the weather. But wow, and you and keep it in Scotland? I do, but I share it with a guy who's a really good pilot. Okay, so when you so, go, you take a co pilot with you. Yeah, I, well, let's say I take the co pilot, but really, I'm just sitting going, yeah. what does that do? Can I have a show? Can I have a show? <laughs> Do you have a thing that you, your antidote to to show business because it's such an odd kind of capricious world that you know just by the nature of it. I don't mind it. I think that's the way it is. It's the circus, but I often feel I'm drawn very much to things which are an antidote, which take my head out of it. Do you do that? Do you? Yeah. I mean, you have your faith, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, my family super close right to them. 
After this, I'm going to go see my brother, who lives right up nearby. Nice. Uh, but I have to be outside in nature. Like, I love swimming. Okay. I love hiking. Yeah. I love walking. Anything that is outside is, that is just heaven for me. And also, I really like driving by myself. I like that too. That's I funny. just love it. I feel like it's a cocoon and you can think and nothing, you know, like it's almost like a meditation in a way. I, I you know, agree. like yeah. uh, what's that expression that they used to say, idle hands are the devil's work or something yeah. like that. But it's the idea that you're using your hands to do something and it frees up your brain. So my mom was a big crocheter and and people who cook or garden or sew or any of that stuff or work on, you know, cars. They the have that same Christian thing. The early Christian desert mystics, they would make what would baskets. They make? Baskets. They would weave baskets exactly. while they were in constant prayer. Right. And so that, I think that's a form of meditation, sure. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that. I listen to music. I listen to books on tape. But mostly I just like to let the mind wander. Are you a gearhead? Do you like have special cars? Do you like go to Jay Leno's garage and say, let me, tr <laughs> oh, let me try no. this one? <laughs> I don't. Actually, my car is, you're going to think this is crazy, 10 years old. You know how most people get a brand new car like every no, couple. Of, I, no, my car is ten years old. I'm never getting rid of it. I love it. You know one of the, one of the a big thing that happened to me in Hollywood was I was working in Warner Brothers and it was in the 1990s. Right. And I just got here. I was doing the Drew Gary show, and Clint Eastwood was working in in the Warner Brothers lot, and he drove in in a ten year old Ford Explorer, and I was like, that is. Wow. So fucking cool. That's so it's cool. So cool. Exactly. He's like, I, I'm Clint Eastwood and I don't care. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I, I, you know, it's not going to make me any more Clint Eastwood if I. Right. I just, I love to kind of like, yeah, it's a car. Oh, uh, I have a car. One of my cars, it's a truck, is, I should say ours, is 21 years old. <laughs> I, I think that's great, though. <laughs> I, I love it. You hang on to them long enough and they become vintage. That's right. I think, I feel like I'm trying that for myself as well. I feel like if I can survive long enough, it'll come back around again. Totally. I, I noticed kids at my stand-up shows now and they're like under 30. I'm like, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah. And then I thought, you bastards, you're here ironically, aren't you? <gasps> yeah, it's because of TikTok or something. No way. <laughs> what about that? Do you do TikTok? I was about to ask you. I, I oh. kind of dip in and out of it. But I treat it the same way as I I do with anything. As I, I don't I don't read anything that MDLs puts up. Right. I just like I do my thing and then I run away. I know I have an account, but I've never been onto it. I don't right. know how to do it. But you do do you do the Instagram or the I or do any Instagram of it? and Facebook and Twitter. Right. Formerly known think, as Twitter. X. Well, I think Twitter is is it's kind of going away. I think now is that. What's I don't happening? know. I I wish it would all go away. No, I, I kind of do too. Can it leave now? I, I kind of ha haven't it. Hasn't it had its moment? Can't we just go back to like looking at each other? I was and hoping, talking to each other. I was hoping it was going to be like CB radio, like it yes, would come in oh and God. it would go, and and that would be it. But I think <laughs> I feel that it it kind of. I remember actually, Tom was scheduled to do uh, a spot in my old late night show. And yes. for some reason, then he couldn't do it. And he wrote 
very classy gentleman, as I'm sure you know, he wrote a note of apology. And it was written in an old typewriter. Yeah. yeah. And I went, oh my God, that's so cool. Yeah. Because yeah. it wasn't just somebody had just done it. No, it's it, him it was with like the mistakes was, and all. There was some thought in it and it, it mattered to me. It, it was like it was like an it was like it really was something. There's something really good about analog things. A I handwritten agree. note, a hand typed note. I listen I, to my music on vinyl now. It, I'm, oh, I, I've yeah. gone back to that. Oh, my new album's coming out on vinyl soon. Really? Because you're yes. you're a country artist, sort of, right? Kind of, yes. Yeah. Yes. I love that. I like to say that I'm Southern, Southern California. Southern California. Exactly. All right. Why not? It's like that but NASCAR vinyl, guy that's from California. Uh, I can't remember his name, but yeah, yeah he's sort of Southern, but yeah, Southern California. Southern. But I love vinyl. I love it yeah, so me much. Too. It reminds me, there's, first of all, it's tactile. Yeah. And it reminds me of how we used to listen to music as a whole. So there was a narrative story that right. the artist or the band was looking to to tell. Right. And you would listen to it and there'd be that moment where side one was over, side A, and you'd flip it over and do side B. Yeah. And it was just like, I love the ritual of that. That's yeah, so I like the wonderful. smell of it. I like the crackle the of it. The smell of it. I know. And the then the thing, the thing is as well is that it, you can listen to vinyl at low volume mm -hmm. and hear stuff that you can't hear digitally. I mm -hmm. never noticed that until very recently. I'm like, wait right. a minute. And I played it to our youngest boy is 12. And I got oh. this vinyl set up and I played it to him for the first time. And it was like a oh. big electronica thing. It was a, a Scottish band called Mogwai. And it's like, it's real, <laughs> you know. Oh and, my God. And I played it to him and he went, Oh my God! What is this? Wow! And I said, "This is this is analog music. Do you this have is vinyl." Speakers yeah, in your house. you got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's and he was nice. like, "Oh my!" God. He said, and "I love this." He said, "I feel I've been robbed." I said, "You have, <gasps> yeah, son. exactly." You like, have. Turn him on. Get him his own yeah. turntable. There was a woman that lived up the street from us when we were growing up, and she worked at Capitol Records. So this was during the '60s, right? When the Beatles were signed to Capitol. Wow! So whenever there was, um an album, a Beatles album released, she would bring it to us. And my sister, well, all three of us, we would just put that thing on, call it a hi-fi. Why was it a hi-fi? I don't know. High it, fidelity. High fidelity. Right. But it had a turn, my dad made it. It had a turntable on one side. It had the tuners on the other side yeah. and the amps. And then the middle was the television set. And we would just that is so cool. sit in front of that. Yeah. Like I wish, wouldn't that be great if somebody came out with a hi-fi, but like a really proper with all the good technology, but made it look like it was in a piece of cabinetry. I bet, I bet you could do it. <laughs> I, I found a, a 1930s wooden radio in oh. the house in Scotland in the yes. what we call the cellars. It's kind of a crypt, right? And I don't know why the radio was down there, but all the valves and stuff were gone. But I'm there is a company that. We'll put new innards in it for oh, you. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And well, so the so dial's wait, Do you live in an old house in Scotland? It's pretty old, yeah. Is it haunted? Yes. Really? Yeah, what kind of ghosts? Uh, what kind of things have you heard or seen? Well, there's always bumps and, and squeaks. And, right. And, and do you believe in all this? Uh, we had one house that had things that were inexplicable. I love this. I uh, don't, me too. I, the most haunted house I've ever lived in was in the Hollywood Hills. What? Yes. T okay, tell me what happened. Well, I don't know what happened, but it was scary. The, Megan was like, what the hell is that? And it was like, ah. It, it, there no. was, it may have been a homeless guy. I don't know, but it, it was it was scary. It was a scary house. That's wild. Where was your haunted house? It was an old 1926 
Mediterranean. That's the... Okay. That, that mine was a 1926 Mediterranean. What? Yeah. They were like, they were friends. Yeah, maybe. The ghosts were friends. Well, maybe. Where was it? Was, was it in the Hollywood Hills? No, in, in Santa Monica area. All oh, right, okay. So yes. here's the thing, though, that right. there were just inexplicable things, and everybody heard them, and you just couldn't explain why the TV would go on by itself in the middle of the night. Yeah, I've seen that. Why yeah. it sounded like there was somebody dropping a stack of books onto the floor from the second floor landing. It sounded like somebody was just dropping a stack of books. We had one in the house, like, we were in the old house in Scotland, right? And there was a, a portrait, an old portrait of the woman who had owned the house a couple of hundred years ago was up on the wall. Right. And Megan and I were standing in the room, we were talking about something, we were just being married, talking, I don't know what the hell you talk, you know what yeah. it's like, you've been married forever, it's, it's like, you just talk about everything, now. you yes. don't know what it is, right? <laughs> so you remember that thing? Yeah. So we're just talking, and there was a door that that never opened, right? It just, it couldn't, it was always so, st- I mean, you could open it, but it was very, very difficult. You right. had to jiggle the thing, the the handle. So we were we were looking at this portrait and I said, oh, she's still here somewhere. And Megan was like, well, and she said, it's a joke. She said to the portrait, it's my house now, girl. And the door <laughs> wiggled and then the door opened. And I was like, Oh. No way did that happen. She, she, and Megan said, and she was like, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry I didn't mean it. <laughs> what was inside the door? Nothing. We thought it was one of the kids coming through. There was nobody there. Nothing. The door just opened. Oh, I've got my the tingles just telling you about it right now. That's so crazy. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. <gasps> All right, That's look, really wild. we're completely out of time. I don't know if, we, if we've if done Wait anything. Wait a minute, are we supposed to be talking about joy? Well, I, I don't know if you noticed, but I, I tried to get you to talk about everything that, oh, gave, yeah. that brought you joy. But what's the joy? Oh, the things that bring me joy. Yeah, your faith, your family. Oh, got it. This. Okay. But you know what? If you want to define it in some way, and put a button oh, on it, I'm very happy with that. Put a button on it. I mean, what does define joy for you? Well... I mean, I think it has to be just making people happy and trying to, I mean, for me anyways, I like to do that. I like to make people happy. I like to, okay, if it's stuff that's not related to family, because obviously that that's like a given, I suppose, but I would- Not always. Not, yeah, that's true. Maybe not. Not always. And Maybe the not. reason why I didn't like bring it up in a fashion and just ask you right. directly- is because I think sometimes it's nice to talk to people and find out what makes them happy without saying what makes you happy. Right, exactly. No, um, I, I get that. But I uh, I would have to say that I think music for me, and, you know, because I came to it, I, I've always loved music and wished that I had started it younger, but it didn't happen that way. And when I finally did start making music 12 years ago, it was as if I could finally express myself in a creative way that felt so truthful. Because in acting, I've, I've done um, wonderful things, right? Sure. I'm very grateful for them. Yeah. But it, in some ways, I also exhausted the canon of warm, kind, nurturing wife, daughter, sister, mother, friend. You it's know? also a collaborative art <laughs> form. That, you know, you're working with a whole bunch of different people yes. coming with a whole bunch of different angles and agendas. Right. And, 
Whereas a musician, it's like you drive the thing a little more. And, and it was really, it just brings me so much joy to do that. Like when right. I know that I have a writing session or I'm going to go in and record something, it just, I'm so excited. And that absolutely brings me joy. And, you know, look, you're right. My faith is a huge driver of that, I think, because I... I have faith, you know, and it it gets tested. Everybody gets tested, sure. you know. We have that happen, but I I still feel like at the end of the day, I I have that. So there's a great line. Do you remember the movie uh, Chariots of Fire? Yes. All right. So in Chariots of Fire, it's one of my favorite. Well, lines the Greek the people would say Vangelis. Vangelis. That's right. He did the, the yes. soundtrack. To the it. Greek people would always. Yeah. If, if there's a Greek people person somewhere in the vicinity of a conversation, a Greek will point that out. <laughs> so in the Vangelis movie, Charities of Fire, it's about a Scottish runner uh, who is a very religious man, and the story is that he won't run in the Olympics on a Sunday. Right. And it's a big problem because that's when the final is, and that's the story of the movie, sort of. Yeah. And his sister, who's even more religious than him, doesn't want them to run at all because they've got to go and their, their missionary work in China is what needs them. And he says this line to her. I don't know who wrote the script. Uh, it was terrible. But there's a great line in the, they're walking in the hill above Edinburgh and she, she's saying, she's trying to persuade him not to go to the Olympics. And he says, I believe God made me for a purpose and that purpose is China. But when I run, I feel his pleasure. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I think that can be your music that's for you. Beautiful. Yeah, it feels like that. Yeah. It really does. And and um I can it's it is it's exactly that. It's yeah. exactly that. It sounds I, like that. And now that we're talking about it, you're making me think about all or sorts of other things because some of them tie together. Earlier you asked me what what gives me joy. Like I love I'm a hobbyist, but I do watercolor painting, okay? Perfect. And it is, it gives me so much joy because here's why. I always wanted to try it and I never could do it. And I was like, why am I not doing it? We, I had organized, you know, organizing all the vacations for the families when the kids were little and all of that. And they'd all be set up and very happy and doing all their things and having their activities. And I'd feel like, oh, what am I supposed to be doing now? And I thought, I need a hobby. I need something I can do like that. So I researched a painting class and I went one day a week for five years from September till June. And I knew nothing when I started this class, nothing. And it was uh, probably the thing that led me to find songwriting because I thought if you do something consistently enough, you don't get worse at it. You cannot totally. get worse at it. Right. You will improve. And I I thought, yeah, with a matter of discipline and just consistency, this happens. And I met the most amazing people and they were people out of this incredible walk of life that you're like, this one guy used to run ABC Studios, Brandon Stoddard, incredible man. He passed away now. Do you remember know the him? Name. Yeah, Such yeah, yeah, a yeah, lovely yeah. human yeah. being. He was an incredible artist. And, uh, you know, you you think, God, uh, you know, 
he didn't have that. What you don't know about that exists within you, (laughs) that unless you sort of explore it and say, okay, I'm going to try this, I'm going to do it, like you did with flying a plane. Mm -hmm. I mean, you came at it because you were afraid of it, Mm -hmm. but there might be something you could do out of the joy of it just because you're like, well, I don't know how to river dance, but I'm going to learn. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you know me. But but that's... I've seen it do your soul. (laughs) (laughs) Now I can finally, I feel like I've been released. (laughs) But it's funny because I think what it is, is that when you're young, when a person is young, I think they judge themselves and they, they look at the results. The biggest challenge I have when I start writing anything, not anymore, but it used to be, I would start saying, you know, once upon a time or whatever it was that I wrote. Right. And then by the third sentence, I was constructing my thank you speech. Uh, <laughs> like, no. Were you but, funny as a kid? Uh, yeah, I think I probably yeah, was. Like, did yeah, you, like, yeah you, like, you knew that you could make people laugh. Yeah, well, I, I knew I'd better or they'd yeah. hit me. So uh, the, <laughs> it was kind of like not so much my family, but <laughs> but in the society I grew up in, yeah, yeah. you're paid to be funny. Yeah, right, know, or, right. Or something. Right. You know, or just keep your head down. Right. It was... Uh, Did you ever do anything different as just like something that you said, I really want to learn how to do this, not the flying thing, but a creative endeavor? Like, yeah. yeah. What, and what it, was it? And it, it was, for me, it was stand-up. Really? Yeah, because because stand-up comedy was, there was, you know Billy Conley, right? Yeah, of course. So Billy's 20 years older than me. So when I was 10 years old, Billy was 30 years old. Right. He was just coming to prominence yes. in, in Scotland. And I had never seen anyone from my background do that. Right. I, it was unbelievable to me. This was like, so. I mean, Americans did that, but not, right. not Scottish men from down the road. Yeah. And, <laughs> now, Billy's a very special human being, but but he, uh, he was Jackie Robinson for me. He, yeah. he opened the door. And, and so I... I, that was what it was. And I thought, I'd like to be able to do that. Wow. looks like a really cool thing to do. And, you know, through one thing and another and various endeavors, I ended up having a crack at it and it kind of worked out here and there. And, and that's what led me into it. Wow. But it was like a it was like a, an instrument. Yeah. You know, that if you learn to play the guitar, you play in a band, you play in a, you, you, maybe you write a movie score, maybe you, you know, work with other people. But right. what you really like to do is just... Play. play the guitar. Exactly. Just play. Exactly. You know? And that's what I love about doing it is just playing. I, to be honest, I felt the same way about about late night too. Is that eventually I thought, you know what? I, the guy who got me into it said, "You're a natural for this," and I said, "You're crazy. I don't even pay any attention to this sort of stuff." And he said, "It doesn't matter. You're natural for this." Wow. And and he was right. I was. Wow. I, I, I just love those stories. I yeah, mean, I so we're only really limited by our own belief systems or, I think or so. what we've heard as kids or teenagers, because I think it, it's not even the limitations we put on ourselves, but sometimes, you know, a teacher or a parent or someone you admire saying something like, you can't dance, you're, you know, yeah, you've the got wrong two left at the feet. Wrong time, yeah. Or, oof, that, what was that you just sang? And you're, yeah. oh, my ear. And if you're a kid, you can hear that and be completely Very crushed yeah. by it. So I think it's like, I think it's never too late. You just got to keep. No. 
creating and there's, keep doing only and keep one pursuing. Point when it's too late. Yes, but exactly. But by that time, yeah. it really is too late. Exactly. But up until that point, keep going. Keep going. Yeah. You keep going. You I keep going. I adore you. I adore you. I'm so happy. <laughs> Thank you, you for having me. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. 